Welcome to Never Stop Conquering, a podcast known for untangling the thing that's probably getting in your way. Tina's guests are business owners, executives, celebrities, and influencers who share their best stuff because they never stop conquering. Guests are not just good idea fairies. In every podcast, we're giving you steps to take so you, too, can achieve what nobody thinks is possible. Now, here's your host, Tina Schelke. Okay, so in today's episode, we are talking with Dr. Gustavo Grudnitsky, a psychologist, author, professional speaker, and really, in my opinion, the top thought leader when it comes to culture and how organizations work. Gustavo, thanks so much. I love every engagement. Pleasure to be with you. I love every engagement. Every time we talk, I learn more and I feel more energized about what I get to do out there in the world of work. So let's first create a common language about culture for our audience so that they understand what it is and what it is not, kind of how it becomes culture. Great. So yeah, let's start with the definition because a lot of people believe that culture is this amorphous thing. It's difficult to codify and define. But in truth, culture has been very well studied by psychology, anthropology, and other disciplines. Sure. So culture is defined as the context in which we live and work, including our beliefs, behavioral rules, traditions, and rituals. Those are the four components of culture, beliefs, behavioral rules, traditions, and rituals. So beliefs are nothing more than the way we see the world. And you've heard me speak, I often start uh, my culture presentation with the quote, when you change the way you see the world, the world you see changes. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, so that, that's that's about you know we believe in a certain way. So you know if I believe that you are you intend to harm me in some way, I'm going to respond to that by belief by moving away from you or not spending time with you. If I believe that you are a loving, giving person that you are, I'm going to move more towards you and try and help you and be helped by you. So. That, 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 those beliefs may have nothing to do with you, who you are. They're simply my beliefs. Right. And we have very little control over others' beliefs. That's right. You know, we, we beliefs are all, particularly, let's talk about values. You know, values are deeply held beliefs. Mm. Our values are things that are taught to us. They are the purest form. Values are the purest form of nurture over nature. No one is born with a specific set of values. Those are purely taught from our culture. So values are a way of our culture to extend itself to future generations. Fantastic. Yeah. So that, that you know, when people, because people often ask, well, is that a nature or nurture issue? Most qualities, most human qualities, there's a some mix, some combination of both, but values and beliefs are truly the purest form of nurture over nature. So, so that's the beliefs component. So beliefs is how we see the world. Um, behavior rules are the rules that govern our behavior. So, for example, in the West, when we greet people, we shake hands. Mm -hmm. in, in France, in Spain, they kiss on both cheeks. In Argentina, they kiss on one cheek. In Japan, they bow. These are behavioral rules for greeting. Yeah, and in the Shelke family, we just hug. 
Okay. <laughs> and but you bring up an excellent point that, that in our families, we also develop our own cultures. We do have, there is such a thing as a family culture, beliefs, behavior roles, traditions and rituals. And, and traditions and rituals are simply things to do repeatedly. Mm-hmm. You know? So traditions uh, may be like, uh, uh, you know, uh, greeting people at the door, how you greet them. Rituals are things like, you know, Thanksgiving, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, etc. So those are those are all parts of a culture. Whether we're talking in on in our organization, in our workplace, in our city, in our state, in our in our society. Because think about it. When when you think about differences between the East Coast and the West Coast, mm-hmm. and Wisconsin. Yeah, right in the middle. Yeah, the United States and Asia, Asia and Europe, Europe and the Middle East. We're all talking about cultural differences, differences in beliefs, behavioral rules, traditions. And rituals. So that's really the definition. That's how to think about it. Great. Okay. Thank you. So what could make a culture good or bad? I hear people judging culture all the time. Right. So I like to look for cultures and help create cultures that focus on primary human drives. So primary human drives are to connect and to belong. So in business in particular, I talk about connection is building relationships with. Belong means to belong to something larger than ourselves. And I talk about that in organizations as having an organizational cause. Because most mm-hmm. companies will focus on vision, values, and mission statements. I don't think those are bad. I'm saying we must additionally bring in an organizational cause. So what makes an organization good, I'm sorry, what makes a culture good mm-hmm. is one that focuses on, in my view, primary human drives to connect and belong and also creates a sense of trust between the members of the organization uh, in, in, that are members of the culture. What makes it bad is one that looks specifically at performance at the cost of relationships, belonging, and trust. So that yeah. you often see is internal competition. I won't help you because that's going to harm me. So the incentives are set up for silos to be created. The incentives are set up for it to, for it to be me versus you as opposed to collaborative incentives. Yeah, and to kind of win, compete rather than participate or cooperate or collaborate. You nailed it. For, for me, it's about, you know, are you, are you motivating through competition or collaboration? Uh, typically gets us much higher performance. Sure. You, um, in your book, Culture Trumps Everything, you spoke about that context, something called social capitalism. Yes. Which is a great way to identify cause and share that purpose and belief. Help our listeners understand, like, we're not socialists. That's exactly it. Yeah, no, so because we're in an interesting political era, let's start off by saying... Yeah. It is called social capitalism. It is not socialism. It is not social engineering. It's referred to as social capitalism because it is a form of capitalism, which is learned to leverage <laughs> yes. primary human drives, which we just said, our, our social drives to connect and belong, primary, yeah. so, primary human drives to motivate behavior and performance. So the term social is used, like think of the concept of social media and social networking, okay? These are two mm-hmm. technologies that leverage primary human drives. So the term specifically, social capitalism, 
come from a book called Firms of Endearment, written by Raj Sisodia, published in 2006. And in his book, Sisodia says, to be a social capitalism company, again, not socialism, not social engineering, social capitalism, to be a social capitalism company, um, <clears throat> owners and leaders, uh, owners, investors, and leaders of the organization focus on two things. Number one, they balance the needs of all of their complex constituencies, otherwise known as stakeholders, not to shareholders. So a stakeholder is anyone who comes to contact with your product or service. So business partners, suppliers, employees, customers, shareholders are a stakeholder, but not your only one. And by extension, community, society, and the environment. All stakeholders in your organization. So point number one, you must balance all their needs. Point number two, no one stakeholder should be allowed to profit at the expense of another, which means social capital companies do not beat down suppliers in order to take profit. That is a classic capital decision. Social capital companies do mm -hmm. not beat down employee salaries in order to take profit. That is a classic capital decision. So the key here is, or one of the keys, social capitalism look at stakeholders. Classic capitalism really just looks at shareholders. Right. And classic capitalism works in the inverse of the kinds of cultures you like to help cultivate. That is true. Yeah. So, so very, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In that classic capitalism focuses on return to investor shareholders only. So the, the term classic capitalism comes from a book called uh, Wealth of Nations written by Adam Smith, which was published in 1776. Let me be clear. I did not just say 1976. I said 1776. It's a business and economic model. It's been around for more than 240 years. So in Wealth of Nations, Smith endeavored to explain the success of the Industrial Revolution. So he created a, created a mechanistic model and what you said, in, for a, to, be a, a, to be a successful company, owners and investors must build a machine of business where at the front end, you put capital, you run it through the machine of, of business, at the back end, pop profit, which is then returned to owners and investors, otherwise known as shareholders. So the key, or for me, the fundamental weakness of classic capitalism is Smith talked about the three, the three factors that it must be used are labor, land, and capital, as if they are all equal. Labor will never be like land and capital. So, No, and it, it's just amazing how many decisions are made putting capital above labor. That's exactly right. And how that creates And, and Wall Street yeah. typically makes decisions based on quarterly numbers. And when you make decisions based on quarterly numbers, you tend to sacrifice investment for the long term so, because you're always trying to make the quarter look better. So I talk about this as the difference between maximizing profit and optimizing profit. Maximizing yeah. profit is trying to make the most profit in the shortest period of time. Optimizing profit is understanding some of the profit today must be reinvested for profit tomorrow. And great, and in the long term, and and you know this from my presentation in the book. In the long term, optimizing profit looks uh, companies do better when they're optimizing for the long term as opposed to quarterly numbers. Even to the extent of being recession. -proof. Absolutely, 
They, 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 and the data show that they may look worse. They may, they may be more, they may be challenged. We're all in certain recessions, particularly the great recession as an example, 2008, 2009, sure. every company was challenged, but the social capital companies came out of it more quickly and more strongly. Part of what classic yeah. capitalism companies do at the sign of first recession is they cut deep and they cut quickly. And they, they cut so deeply that they literally will cut into their capacity to turn around. So what happens is mm -hmm. when the turnaround happens, social capitalism companies take off because their people are key stakeholders. They try to hold on. To be clear, social capitalism companies, because this is one of the pushbacks I get, they do not give up financial metrics. Yeah. They do not give up financial discipline. The key is how do you view, yeah. The key is how do you view your people? If you view your people as key stakeholders, you will hold on to them as long as possible. I often say profit to an organization is like breathing to a human being. I don't suggest you don't need to make profit, neither does social capitalism. What, what it says is mm -hmm. they are willing to make less profit during a downturn to keep their people as long as possible. And they reap right. the benefits. Because when the when the turnaround happens, they take off, and classic capitalist companies have cut into their capacity. Yeah, it's it just totally takes the idea of the mechanics of profit and shifts the context from like scarcity or an either or mindset to possibility yeah. and abundance. And it's critical for leaders to jump out of that fearful place of oh my gosh and yeah. scarcity and really consider what they're up to and you know i mean th those are that's another way to look at it it's, it's a scarcity versus abundance model and fear is the driving force so during a downturn there is a fear that we may not survive and and there are a couple of ways there are a couple of ways to manage that fear one of them is to go to classic capitalism and hoard cash cut people deep and the other is to understand what i refer to as the profit paradox and the profit paradox says companies that pursue profit directly make less profit. Companies that pursue culture first mm -hmm. make more profit. So if you understand that profit is a result of culture, then you focus on culture first. And the key is if you understand the profit paradox, well, then... You can, you can focus on your culture even during a downturn while maintaining financial discipline. You focus on your culture first and understanding that that will get you through. It's, you're absolutely right in that there's a fear component. So when I talk about that fear, I talk about mastering that fear or I talk about uh, courage. Social capitalism mm -hmm. requires courageous leadership. You are vulnerable in that moment. Yeah. And courage is not about the absence of fear. Courage is the mastery of fear. So again, a couple of ways to master that fear. One is to move towards classic capitalism. The other is to understand that the social capitalism, that profit follows culture. If you understand that, then you can be courageous during a downturn while having financial discipline and come out of it better than your competitors. Thank you. Thank you for that. So we touched a lot on already on how culture impacts company performance. And some of that has been the financial performance. But what else do you see when people are leveraging the primary human drivers in a way that creates culture that supports trust 
and collaboration and cause, right? Working for a purpose. Primarily, what you see is what I call quintessence. So quintessence are all those behaviors that go above and beyond the goal. Quintessence are, are, is the behaviors you cannot buy, sell, or trade. Quintessence is the competitive advantage of any company. Because it can't be bought, sold, traded. It can't be borrowed, copied, or stolen. Because look, your competitive, your competitive advantage does not come from your policies, policies and procedures. Those could be copied. It does not come sure. from uh, 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 your people because they can be poached. It comes from your people's willingness and desire to go above and beyond the goal. That's what quintessence is. That that's what it looks like. Um, so when it and and you that is what drives profitability. That it's your people's willingness to create efficiencies, to go above and beyond the goal, to do things that other competitors can't get their people to do. That's what quintessence is. So I'll give you an example of um. Let's talk about, uh, let's say, Tesla as an example. Okay. Okay. Tesla run by Elon Musk. Tesla's a purely electric motor vehicle. The cause at Tesla is we want to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles and electric technology. That's their cause. The challenge uh, for them achieving their cause is what's referred to as range or distance anxiety. People are, front of the, people are afraid they're going to run out of juice and end up with a heap of metal on the side of the road. So the first thing Tesla did, they built rapid charging stations, first up and down the east-west coast, then a line across the center of the country. Not good enough. So Musk went to his engineers, with whom he uses social norms, part of social capitalism, which means he pays his people fairly. He doesn't overpay them. He pays his people fairly, Mm -hmm. then gives them the cause I just shared with you. And he said to them, we need your help. We want to teach our customers that our car batteries are no different than a barbecue propane tank. So I want you, my customers, mm-hmm. my, I'm sorry, you, my engineers, I want you, my engineers, to create a system that will allow our customers to drive into a rapid charging station, drop their discharge battery, and pick up a fully charged battery. And I want that exchange to happen in five minutes or about the time it takes to fill a fossil fuel gas tank. You have six months to do it. <laughs> they went off to meet the goal. What a challenge. They met that five-minute goal in four months. Wow. What, what did they do with the additional two months? They created a system that executes the exchange in 90 seconds. That is cause-driven behavior. That's culture-driven behavior. Think a second. Had Musk gone to his engineers and used classic capitalism, so let's say business norms, traditional incentives, and said to them, I will pay each one of you $100,000 for hitting that five-minute goal. Well, what happened after four months? Would they hit the goal? No, it had sucked the quintessence right out of them. <laughs> That's it. They would have stopped. They would have stopped. They yes. would have checks going on, on, going on vacation, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's cause-driven behavior. It's culture-driven behavior. The key here is this, that leaders get people to achieve things other people can't achieve. Culture gets people to achieve things other people can't imagine. Elon Musk Mm. could not imagine a 90-second exchange system. Otherwise, we would ask for it. For him, five minutes was a stretch. It was the cause and the culture that took a five-minute goal down to 90 seconds with no one asking. That's an example of quintessence. That's what drives profitability. Great story. Thank you. That is 
a, a wonderful way to understand and wrap our heads around culture, leadership, um, providing that cause, and also honoring the trust, right? He he knew they were, his engineers didn't put people in Absolutely. danger by, by um, creating this 90-second changeover, right? It's not, it, you're not going to take your life in your hands when you change out one battery for another. Tesla is caring for the whole experience. Right. Yeah, the whole ecosystem. They're stakeholders. Yeah, that's exactly right. So obviously they care very deeply about the people who use their vehicle. And and it had to be safety was a was a critical component. Makes me want a Tesla. <laughs> so as a leader, business owner and consultant, one of my favorite takeaways from your presentations has always been because it it's just so such a good simple reminder. Um, you say out loud and very boldly, you get the culture you deserve. And I heard it repeatedly and it just was like, kunk, kunk, kunk. okay, I deserve better than what I get mm. some days. And then I, I also, that's just a mirror, right? Like I'm looking in the mirror, I deserve better. And then I learn and get to think about all the things that I need to be doing or that I might have missed or that I might have sabotaged that prevent me from getting the culture I want. I am absolutely getting the culture I deserve, but I'm a human. Sometimes I mess things up. And uh, for the most part, I get the the one I want, but uh, sometimes I get in the way and I get the one I deserve. <laughs> So let's talk mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, so you get the culture come you deserve really comes from the concept that, that culture is very much like a garden, okay? Um, which means it is not something we can just set and forget. Like our gardens, culture requires sunlight, nutrition, and water. And like water, culture starts at the top of an organization with its leadership. It flows downhill with gravity, affecting everyone that it touches. What, so what that really means is that as leaders and organizations, we are the ones that are responsible for preparing the soil, planting the seeds, and picking the fruit of our culture. Which is why I say we get the culture we create, we get the culture we cultivate, we get the culture we deserve, because if you have a garden at home, and you are trying to grow tomatoes, squash, whatever you're trying to grow. If you ignore that garden just for a week, what do you get? Thistles, generally. And weeds, right? Depending on what you get. You, get <laughs> you know, you may get thistles in Wisconsin. In, in, um, in Colorado, we get a lot of mullins, okay? Yeah, so oh, we, yeah. we get mullins in Colorado. For those who don't know, a mullin is a weed that can grow six and a half feet tall. Okay, I'm six five. If you haven't, been, I'm six five. If you think you can get taller than I am, at that point, it's a small tree. You can't pull it. You got to cut it down. No doubt. So the key is, if you get a mullen in your yard, you got to pull it early when it's just the bud. So you get the culture you deserve. Really means if you ignore those behaviors that undermine your culture, those are the weeds. You're going to get a garden full of weeds that will choke out the fruits, the vegetables, and the flowers you are trying to grow. 
That's what I mean by you get the culture you deserve. If you don't pay this, I talk, I talk about this is the difference between working on your business and working in your business. Working on your business means working on your culture. So that is the key. You get the culture you deserve. What does that sound like? Like, how does that work? I know. Um, so, so a weed shows up at work. Okay. What do you do about it? Like, what does that sound and look so, like? So, uh, so when, just to be clear, the weeds are not the people, weeds are the behavior. So you can have some, some very good people who behave, occasionally behave out of line. And you can't be everywhere. You can't see everything. So the behavior really depends on the industry, the culture you're trying to create, etc. What is a desirable behavior in one culture may not be desirable in another. So, for example, you know, banks are far much, much more tend, tend to have. Let me say that in English. Banks tend to have cultures that are far more conservative than technology companies, for example. Okay much more conservative, they speak, they speak in a certain way, or technology companies, the expression may, may be much more broad, broadly acceptable. So um, mm -hmm. with regard to what does it look like, leaders can't be everywhere and they can't see everything, and I never suggest you can or should, but what I suggest is you empower your people to have the authority and responsibility for pulling the weeds in your culture. And the weeds, again, they are not the people. They are the behaviors that undermine your culture. So, for example, if somebody is trying to take a shortcut or if somebody does something that is not acceptable in your culture, it doesn't have to be the supervisor that corrects them. Any member of the culture can correct the behaviors using what I refer to as culture-based statements. Culture-based statements sound like, we don't do that here. That's not how we roll here. That's not how we do things here. This is how we do things here. Let me show you how things get done here. Let me teach you how, things, how, how we operate here. Those are examples of culture-based statements. And the key to culture-based statements are uh, they are not, I'm your supervisor and I forbid it. They are not, that's against policy. You're going to get in trouble for that. Culture-based statements communicate. Hey, you're one of us. Nothing you're thinking about, that's not part of us. Yeah. So the idea is the, the culture is not, you know, leaders set the parameters of the culture. Every member of the culture is responsible for poking the, pill, put, picking and pulling the weeds. And the weeds, they are people, they're the behaviors that undermine culture. Yeah. So I have a curious question um, because I'm seeing it happening and I see it referred to, you know, online as people are talking about their company culture or this happening or ha that happening. And I don't know exactly how it works, but there's some point system that seems to be pretty popular, especially in manufacturing type of businesses where people accrue points. I think about it like when I was in high school, demerits, right? They accrue points for, I would say those cultural weeds, right? The behaviors. And it's very punitive. It's not a culture statement. It's just this point. Is that an effective approach? I don't know because I haven't tested it out or really studied it. I'm just starting yeah, to hear so, about it. Um, I, I Point systems sound like, you know, there's a whole concept out there that's been proven to be very effective and that's gamification. Gamification is by is yeah. basically making people's tasks tracking them in the form of a game where they will get 
you know, certain rewards for certain levels, certain points, but gamification typically works in a reward, in a rewarding system, not in a punitive system. So gaining points for demerits <laughs> is typically not as effective as giving, giving reward for behavior, desirable behaviors. So, because punishment, uh, uh, and this is just the way, you know, we work, our brain works, punishment, the, the goal of punishment is to reduce the frequency of behavior, a, a particular behavior, but it doesn't tell people what to do. It tells people what not to do. And nobody can do a don't. Right. That's exactly it. You know, in psychology, we refer to it as, as a dead man rule. Dead man, don't ask a person to do what dead man can do, which is nothing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The other part that it becomes clear to me is that it's kind of a tolerance system too. You get a certain amount of points. And to me, it's like, the first time you see it, call it out, you know, Hey, that's not that's how we it. do it around here. Don't give me a point to do it four more times. Right? Like I get four more tries yeah. at this. Okay. Let me, let me use that. Yeah. Strategically. You know, so again, <laughs> so you, you, you're going to so go in my view, the punitive system, punitive systems tend to fail. Reward uh, systems uh -huh. tend to succeed because reward tells people what to do. Punishment tells people what not to do, but not what to do. So, yeah, so, so I, I've seen those systems more, at least the ones I've created are always based on reward. The ones that uh, are in uh, based on punishment, uh, I have not, I've never found one that, that works effectively. Thank you. Okay, so let's get down to the nitty gritty. Um, what would you share? Like, what's your best advice for leaders on specific steps they can take to create the culture they want? What's the first thing they need to do? So um, I think that there is a, a four-step process to creating culture. The first okay. step is to display the behavior yourself. That means as a leader, you go first. It means lead by example. It means model the behavior, which means if you want your people to take a genuine interest in each other, you must take a genuine interest in them first means if you want your people to operate based on transparent metrics of performance, you must make your metrics of performance transparent first. It means you, if you want your people to behave with high integrity, you must behave in ways that display high integrity first. So display the behavior is always the first step. Okay. Step number two Great. is to have your employees experience the behavior. Experience mm -hmm. the behavior means you must have them, after you've done it, you must have them experience it, meaning do it. And the key to experience the behavior is not just to have them fluff it off, it's to experience the behavior at a desired level of performance. A group yeah. or a team. You want to help them, you want to coach them, you want to guide them to achieve the behavior at a desired level of performance, because that's when you are setting the standard of performance. Part of experiencing behavior, step number two still, is you want them to experience the authority and responsibility that comes with creating a shift in culture. This is how you make them gardeners in your garden. So you want to say to them and show them it is not only okay, it is desirable to use culture-based statements with each other. 
This is how we do things here. This is not how we do things here. This is how we operate here. This is not how we operate. Those are all culture-based statements. You want them to have the authority and responsibility without retribution. So, so there the we key go. here is that I've often seen, you know, let's call it a new manager or a new leader coming into an organization. And they're at a, let's call it middle management level. And they're, they're new to the organization. There are people below them who've been there for years. And he or she will make a misstep. They'll do something that's countercultural or not supportive of the culture. And there will be a member of the culture who comes to them, and it's a, su a supervisee of theirs, and say, hey, just want to let you know, we don't do that here. And the manager will say, has said something like, shut the F up. Get back to work. Okay? Mm. That person needs to be spoke to and taught. I mean, the manager needs to be yes. spoke to and taught that, you know, we don't do that. That's a culture-based statement. They're new. The manager's new. The pe person who's there isn't new. They know the culture. So it really is incumbent upon them to listen. And at that point, if that was their response, my urging would be that they need to go back and apologize. I didn't understand my mm -hmm. apologies. I didn't respond the way that I, I did not respond correctly. And I apologize for that. So, uh, so step that, that part of experience, we're on step number two, you know, that that's part of experiencing the culture, experience the, experiencing the authority and responsibility for using culture-based statements. That's two. Step number three is to require the behavior. Okay. So require the behavior actually has three components. So let's call them 3.1, 3.2 and 3.3. So 3.1 is about accountability. Accountability means you have set the standard performance into step number two in experience. Remember, you don't want to fluff it off. You want them to say to reach it at a, to perform at a certain level. Accountability means maintain the standard of performance, which means you set it. Don't let it fall below. Even if it comes below an inch, you want to mm -hmm. have them repeat the behavior until they get back to the standard. Because if you allow for backsliding in your culture, guess what you're going to get at? Guess what you're going to get? Back, back on. One of those six and a half foot <laughs> weeds, right? You get that back. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's the accountability piece. Uh, that's 3.1. 3.2 is be supportive, be understanding, which means if people fall short, don't jump on them with both heels. You can be supportive and say, you know, I'm, I know this is new. I know this is still a new project. You know, this, this is what we're trying to get. Let's try it again. Let's make sure we get to where we need to be. And step number 3.3 is gratitude and praise. When you see the behavior you want at the level you want, be grateful. Show gratitude. Use praise. Thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for doing it. That's really good. Nice job. You know, and these all, all must be done in a genuine way. Of these three pieces, three one, three, two, three, three, about of of require, the ones that that is most often missed is three point three. Gratitude and praise. And because people say, oh, they got it. Oh, they're doing their job. I don't need to, I don't need to praise them. They're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Eh, wrong answer. Right. We all need that acknowledgement. We really do. And here's yeah. the thing. Gratitude and praise are two of the most powerful shapers of human behavior. And, and what do they cost mm -hmm. us? Nothing. They're completely nothing. Well, and what I find is the person receiving the appreciation or the acknowledgement, they get a boost. But if you're the person with a pocket full of compliments, boy, do you feel That's great exactly all right. day. What's bad about that? Yeah. 
Oh, nothing. Nothing bad about it. Step number three, (laughs) step number four, and it's the last step, is to monitor the behavior. And monitor the behavior means monitor the behavior over time. So the key here is this, because people get really impatient when it comes to creating, they want culture shift to happen yesterday. And uh, (laughs) I tell people, look, you can trash your culture in 24 hours. Lots of it. We can talk about HP. We can talk about uh, we can talk about uh, Wells Fargo. We can talk about Volkswagen. You can trash your culture in 24 hours. To make meaningful, substantive change in your culture requires a 12 to 18 month time horizon, minimum, because it can't take more. Yeah. 12 to 18 months minimum. That is the key. It's about consistency over time. Yeah, and I would even reinforce like. 12 to 18 months of time and reinforce all previous steps, like reflect on them, go back to one. Are you displaying it yourself? You know, take, take a look at two. Are people still experiencing the behavior? You know, it's, and at the level that you want them to. So, so again, you know, those four steps, the fourth one I think is um, important to reflect on the prior Prior Always. three yeah. as that, well. That's part of monitoring to make to, to yeah. make sure that people aren't hey, the issue of backsliding or your. So again, you, if you're a CEO, you may have a really good concept of what you want your culture to be. But what I often tell CEOs is, middle management is where culture goes to die. <laughs> because <Yes>. traditionally, <laughs> middle manager, managers manage tasks, leaders lead people. So it really is mm-hmm. about having your managers become leaders and when they when your managers who manage tasks become leaders who lead people then they have a greater appreciation of culture and the power it has over influencing people's behaviors and performance and that's ultimately what you're looking for wonderful well thank you so much gustavo i i think we have a great definition for culture um the intricate nature and comparison of culture that serves stakeholders versus serving shareholders and the benefits to serving stakeholders and then how to get there what we need to consider and those very clear steps to to get the job done and the great context right to help us manage our own behavior and expectations and and mindset it's it's a long run. Culture is a forever mm-hmm. job. And if you're changing it, it's going to take at yeah. least a year. And again, keep, keep in mind, like you said, and I think very well said, it is a forever job. It's like your garden. You know, you're, if you want to grow things in your yeah. garden, it's something you have to constantly tend to. A, a little bit every day, but you got to constantly tend to it. There's And there are no, no, no shortcuts. Yeah. And for people who don't like gardening, I happen to love gardening. Call it something else. Call it something you love. Like if you like polishing your car or whatever it might be polishing your car you, you, you know taking care of your car again is 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 not events to process so you take care of the outside on certain days the inside on other days there are mechanical yes. issues there are aesthetic issues it's a process right right thank you so much this has been a real treat and i can't wait to get feedback on our episode all about culture and you get the culture you. you deserve. I can't wait to hear what kind it's of culture been a real people pleasure. are getting. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Never Stop Conquering Podcast. 
make sure to visit our website, neverstopconquering.com, where you can subscribe and never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Captivate or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Even better, tell your friends to listen in. If you're really serious about this and want to never stop conquering, Tina and her team are available for private coaching, corporate consulting, and keynotes. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode. Thanks and enjoy today.